Today on Octal FM, we continue our Games of the Year series, where we discuss the most important, influential, and just plain fun games from 1988. Hello and welcome to another episode of Octal FM. I'm Gelada. And I'm Saffron. And we are continuing our progression through video gaming history, mm-hmm. uh, where we take a look at video games from each year. What year did we start with? 1980? Uh, 85, I think. 85. And we're on 88. Got a way to go yet. Mm. Before, but eventually we'll catch up. Eventually, um, yeah. Maybe if we're still doing Octal FM. <laughs> might be quite a while. Yeah. And so today we are talking about games from 1988. Mm-hmm. Specifically games that are important either to us or to the industry. Not every single game. Not a comprehensive list. Not necessarily even covering some of the obvious things. Sometimes we'll probably cover some unobvious ones. But yeah, we're going to look through, we're going to chat through each of the games that we've that we've picked out for this year and just have a chat about them and we, tell you why we think they're important. We've already covered 85, 6 and 7, which mm-hmm. you can go back and listen to the previous episodes. Very similar yep. sort of format, if I'm honest. And like, yeah, I, I think the other thing to mention that's important is that this is no, this isn't in any like order, like in terms no. of like quality or importance or anything. These are just the order in which we've kind of ended up making the notes for them as well. So yep. if your game is lower on our list and they've turned things discussed, then it makes no difference. <laughs> exactly. But we wanted to do some honorable mentions first mm. uh, because I feel some of these are, they're pretty, they're pretty important or pretty interesting that probably do need a little bit of a time to talk about it rather than just to give us a footnote at the end of the episode. Hmm. And the thing that I noticed, though, as I was doing the research for this is that this is the year, well, first of all, this was the year I was born. So <laughs> this is when the great game of Seth came into the world. Right, um, right. And you can tell this by the quality of the games of the year, right? Um, right. <laughs> but more importantly, um, this is the first time that nintendo power was published Mm. in the u.s yeah which if you are unaware was i would say like probably one of the most influential nintendo Mm. magazines and as a result gaming magazines for the home console market yeah yeah definitely definitely i always remember nintendo power being referenced in things and but it was official right it was an official magazine it wasn't Mm -hmm. um because in the uk i think we had official nintendo magazine but then yes. we also had like a couple of like unofficial third party ones yeah, as well. Yeah. Whereas Nintendo Power was the the what uh, the US had. Yeah. And that one I think that shaped a large amount of people's like just kind of identity within the gaming culture. Mm. Um yeah, and it absolutely. did a great job of bringing people together. This is very, very pre internet days, you know. Mm. So like if you wanted to get news on games, typically speaking, this is where it, you got it, you know, like mm, absolutely. Um, and and this is also the time when like they would all they would sometimes give out like free VHS tapes, for you to like watch <laughs> oh trailers God. on and stuff on them. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Not not in 1988. I wasn't born yet. No, <laughs> um, but you know those kinds of days of magazines with yeah trailers on VHS. I think I've probably still got one somewhere. Um, yes. Some other cool honorable mentions that uh, from this year. 
um, was Gradius 2 and Ghouls and Ghosts. Yeah. Uh, the reason I put those together is because we actually discussed Gradius 1 and is it Ghosts and Goblins, I yes. think, um, in the episode of 106 for 1985, which is basically yeah. the predecessors of those two games. Yeah, we're sort uh, of really starting to see sequels, you know, mm. at this kind of time. Lots of sequels, lots of franchises, you know, really, really becoming front and center in video games at this point i mean i think by this point they've got dragon quest 3 out right exactly and i think we talked about dragon quest 3 in like the first episode of this so mm. you get the idea yeah. yeah so there's lots of sequels now a lot of those sequels don't actually change too much mm. um yeah. they're mostly just iterative of the original product yeah. because the assassin's creed of 1988 exactly terrible terrible business practice um <laughs> but i guess it was a case of like the culture and the identity of gaming wasn't quite as it as concrete yeah. and i think in many cases like a lot even the industry saw them as like toys effectively yeah so also, could, still like three years gap between you know gradius one and two yeah. for example like it's a long time it's a good amount of time i suppose but it's just hard to appreciate it when you're talking about it like a few episodes mm. apart mm. Uh, another big one was famicom wars was uh, came out this yeah. year Famicom Wars itself is not particularly interesting. It's uh, like a turn-based strategy game. But mm-hmm. it's interesting in the fact that it was the beginning of the kind of turn-based strategy games by Intelligent Systems, who yeah. went on to do Advance Wars uh, on the Game Boy Advance, which is what most mm-hmm. of the West were introduced to initially. Yeah. And Fire Emblem, that's where that all yeah. started too. Fire Emblem, I think, comes out in 1990, if I remember rightly. Oh, I wonder if that'll make the grade oh, for, 90, for our 1990 episode. <laughs> Uh, another one uh, was Operation Wolf, which is sort of a cheat because it came out in the arcades in 87 and Home Calls also in 89, so kind of missed the boat on that one. But mm. I want to talk about it because it was uh, an arcade machine that very much popularized the light gun genre mm. games. Because before then, the light gun was a thing, like the idea of like having a gun that you would shoot towards a screen and then the screen mm. would register. Duck hunt, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it was like an on-rails event now. So, mm. like, the original things like Duck Hunt's a great example where it was a static shooting static, gallery, effectively. Yeah. Whereas Operation Wolf is like an on-rails sort of, like, adventure where you move through a, a scenario. Mm. It was quite violent <laughs> for its time. And mm. it got a little bit of uh, controversy as a result of that as well. Because it was sort of like, I think, I want to say it's like Vietnam era combat looking at it. Right. But I could be wrong about that. It's, it's that sort of, like, jungle combat kind of thing yeah so but that was very much an inspiration for games like time crisis house of the mm. dead point blank and all the other sort of like uh, on rails like gun shooters that uh that have become very loved you know mm. not really a thing anymore are they but uh well i always find it really interesting light guns because they work only with crts mm. because they, they don't work with lcd monitors because they exploit a like the way that crts work in that they like draw a like electron beam left Mm. to right top to bottom and like the light gun is basically it's like reacting fast enough i can't remember exactly how they work now but it's like reacting fast enough it like knows where it's pointing based on the position of the electron gun Mm. which is just crazy when you think that these are refreshing like you know 50 times a second and that that electron gun is moving top to bottom and then the light gun is like picking up accurately like where it is based Mm. on the bright spot on the screen, which as a human, you can't see because you just see it as an image. 
but yeah, they don't they don't work on LCDs because no. so. that's what the notable flash is, isn't it? Like every time you pull the trigger on these guns, the game the, the screen will like flash very right. momentarily. Exactly, that's it. That's it. Yeah, and, and it's that's that what flash, that flash it's, is. It's picking it up based on the timing of that flash. Yeah, and that flash then tells you, like, if you look close enough and say freeze frame, that you'll be able to see like a small black dot typically right. of where you've 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 aimed and the rest of the screen will be white yeah. um very clever technology like a good good clever hack effectively yeah, of uh, of existing technologies which yeah. like you say now you can't really do with like lcd monitors uh, yeah. or led screens or anything like that and you would need to use things more like motion controls effectively yeah like a connect or like a wii type of yeah, thing. yeah you need like a sensor in front of the tv yeah right you know which is not to, quite to as see where you're pointing no. So that's probably why they're not as popular. Yeah. Uh, some other other games that came out that year, we had <laughs> let's see if we can pronounce this correctly. Ease, Yees, Wise. Yeah. The East. the East series uh began yeah. here. Ancient East Vanished apparently was the full title. Like a uh, bit of a mouthful. Yeah. And again, this one's a little bit of a cheat because this actually came out on Japanese computers, things like the MSX for an example, or the PC engine, um, mm. in 1987. Uh, but it came out on like consoles in, in 88. And this is just another, just like with um, Famicom Wars, this was the beginning of a very long running series. For still an, going, right? Yeah. Still I think a, a new one came out like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> Amazingly. Like, amazing. Uh, same character, by the way. You play the same main character from even oh back then. <laughs> um, and it's made by a company called uh, Nihon Falcom, who are like powerhouses in the jrpg genre very traditional still they've yeah. they've not really tried to innovate they're still sticking to the kind of like the more traditional refined jrpg genre mm. um they do the series of like the, the the trails of series like the trails of cold steel and the trails of oh, the yeah. sky and yeah. they do the legend of the hero legend of hero series of games as well um, right so i'm sure you've seen some of those before yes uh and we also got some hits like splatterhouse and blaster master I'd never heard of these. You've never heard of Splatterhouse, really? That's quite <laughs> no, surprising. I, I genuinely haven't. I played Splatterhouse as a kid at my childminder's house, uh, mm. and it always scared me because it's quite gory. It's like kind of like mm. a. It's a bit like Jason from like Friday the Thirteenth. Not no, right. that's Halloween. Is it? I remember one of those two, Nightmare on Elm Street. All those kind of kind of like B movie style like horror yes. flicks from the eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like just kind of gory and gruesome and like kind of horror kind of thing. Like a 10 year old would be like, oh my God, it's so scary, you know. Um, but it just had a really good like meaty beat em up feel to it. So mm. I'm surprised you not played them. No, no. But oh. anyway, that's our honorable mentions out of the way. Yeah. And kicking off our first entry to our games of 88. Yeah. We've already talked about the first one in this series, but genuinely mm. I think this the second game is just as important, if not more so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Mega Man Two, right? <laughs> like we talked. When did we talk about Mega Man One? What what year was, was that? Eighty five. It's actually right at the end of 1988. Was, was it really released Christmas Eve? According to Wikipedia. So take that as you interesting. want. Fair enough. I mean, that that caused a run on the shops, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I think Mega Man 2 is the like best, that's the like best selling one, right? Like mm-hmm. it's the, that's the one that where they got it right. And it's the like one that the series is kind of like best known for sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's basically the same game again, but refined in every way. 
Like yeah. the first one was really fun and, and kind of innovative in a way, but it's a bit clunky in places. Some of the puzzles were kind of awkward. Mega Man 2 takes everything and makes it better and then adds some new features as well, yeah. um, which is why I wanted to include it because I think basically from here on out, all Mega Man games are basically Mega Man 2 iterations. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> kind of. Like even the ones that were released in like 2019, I think was the most recent one. Like hmm. Mega Man 11 or something in 2019. So yeah, like Mega Man 2 really did set the trend for Mega Man games of the mainline series because there's a lot of other Mega Man games that are like all spin-offs and yeah. stuff. And it was originally on the NES, but you can also, you can, I, it's available in like other forms now um and what what was it released on anything else at the time apart from the nes i don't think so no i think it was i think it was exclusive uh and in case you forgot from the previous episode uh it was made by capcom um capcom still do all right nowadays like they still make some decent games they're not like konami who have kind of like fallen into the wayside um Mm. they make things like street fighter resident evil monster hunter uh things like that they're still doing pretty well mega man i think is probably like you you said it quite well in the previous time we talked about this, and I think it's a little bit rude, but I think it's still true. Is he's a bit of a B star player? Mm. Like he, he's good, but he's not like the big be all and end all of like game mascots, right? Yeah, yeah. And exactly I think that's, that. that's evidenced by the fact that like most of the times now that Mega Man turns up is either as a cameo in other games like Smash Bros or like Marvel versus Capcom and that kind of thing. Yeah. Or re-releases of his old games. Yeah. Uh, but that goes to show because Mega Man 2 is the reason for that. So that's why I want to talk about Mega Man 2. Yeah. This is the game that basically solidified things like the E-Tanks in the game where you could mm-hmm. like refill your energy whenever you wanted to. And it also introduced some of the most classic tunes in oh, Mega yeah. Man. Like, I mean, we're talking like nes music right which is pretty limited and you'll have heard some of this at the beginning of the this this segment that i put in but it has some absolute classics that i think are still like absolute bangers today Did Mega Man 2 also have terrible box art like the first one did? Was it in, was it in the States, right, where they had that awful Oh, it was so weird. Like, it looks like someone's, like, drawn it on the back of a napkin. <laughs> and they've just taken, like, a really, like, weird electro yeah. album cover or something from a vinyl. Yeah, yeah it's, it's still not great. It's still, really? like, weirdly realistic proportions. Oh my god, but it's I still need to find it. I need not to look as up. bad as the first one, in fairness. I just don't get it, because like they could have just simply used the original Rockman artwork from Japan, Rockman being the Japanese name for Mega Man. What is this? What is this? <laughs> oh my god. Why are there faces in the background? Yeah, it's what kind of weird, coming? right? <laughs> so Okay, yeah, you're right. It's like it's not being like drawn by a child and stuck on the front of the box, but it's not far off. It's very weird. I don't understand yeah. this. Uh, anyway, let's move on. <laughs> uh, what was yeah. what's your what are your games from 1988? So I have uh, an interesting choice, which is Battle Chess. Right. Um, <laughs> you now, never think of Battle Chess when it comes to the gaming titans of the time, do you? <laughs> no, no, you don't. You don't. You're right. You're right. But, but Battle Chess is interesting. Battle Chess is interesting just for a couple of reasons. But but I'll go, we'll talk about it. Welcome to Battle Chess, the first fully animated computer chess game.
I was very excited when I saw that Battle Chess was released <laughs> okay. in 1988. Originally, it was released on the Amiga. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was also like an enhanced version uh, on PC. And I have this weird feeling that I did actually play it. Of all the, you know, I've not played many of these games from 1988. Um, but I feel like I did play Battle Chess because when I was watching some videos of it, I was like, I reckon this feels really familiar. It's It's a 3D chess game right like it's not it's not very complicated it was known for having like fairly average ai Mm. uh and the animations are all quite slow but it's like 3d and there's like and and like all the pieces like walk around Mm. and they like attack each other like it it had very like over the top animation that like the pieces would fight you know when the when you were when you were taking a piece and stuff like that at the time it's probably seen as like pretty mind-blowing because it wasn't like it's almost not a game in the same sense as all the other ones at least it wouldn't have been perceived as so because it's chess it's not a toy right 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 and yeah so it's kind of weird like it's kind of interesting like a 3d fancy 3d graphics chess game you know that's quite a lot of effort to put into a chess game which you you know you definitely don't need to put that kind of i can see like people on like tomorrow's world on the bbc's going is this the end of the wooden chess set in the living room everyone's going to be playing battle chess on there exactly exactly. (laughs) it was developed and published by interplay Mm -hmm. who also made fallout um so battle chess fallout you know basically the same yeah Um, totally (laughs) and interplay also spawned black isle uh who who developed Baldur's gate and Mm. all of those games and interplay published Baldur's gate um yeah that's sort of like crpg genre of games right 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 exactly um so they're very well known for that it had very very like over the top animations as i said like one of the things the best thing is like the rooks which are obviously like little towers they like turn into these big stone golems when right. they attack because it's like how would you make a, a tower attack otherwise <laughs> yeah very weird the reason why i wanted to talk about battle chess is because there is a story there is a story Ooh. about the development of battle chess story time with jal it's story time and i i first read about this story on a blog called coding horror which is a well-known uh software development blog by a guy called jeff atwood uh he's the guy that made stack overflow if you've heard of stack overflow or, okay. or, or all of its similar things uh and also discourse which is like the most popular forum software nowadays is is is, is called discourse and I, I use this story almost on a weekly basis okay, <laughs> um, or maybe like a monthly basis. Um, there's this story about the, there was this uh, like artist who was working on battle chess and he was working on the animations and the, and the design of the animations. And he, he was well known. And this is quite common in any situation that there was like the, the sort of producer, like the project manager would never just sign something off. Right. He would always have to, like, have his say. Hmm. He would have to, like, be like, just change this thing and then it's good. Right. And just to sort of make them feel, you know, like they were contributing rather than just saying, yeah, everything's fine. This looks great. So this artist allegedly knew that this was a thing and didn't really want, like, anything to change about his animation. Yeah, he was happy with as they were, but he didn't want them tampered with. So what he did is he... He added some. He was working on the animation for the queen, and what he did is he gave the queen a pet duck, <laughs> and, and this duck he animated it. It like flew around. It like flapped around the queen, but it never like overlapped with the actual animation. It was just like isolated and separate. And he did it because he knew that when the time came to review the animations, 
the 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 producer you know the project manager or whatever he comes over he's like looking at the animations he's watching it um works his way through actually all the animations i think like and it works through everything and he's like yep everything looks great just one thing just get rid of the duck <laughs> and he they, and so having a duck is like a, a like a software development term like like where you put you intentionally like a put something porn. in yeah that you know wants to you know you know is going to want they're going to someone is going to want to like the person who's you know the stakeholder or whatever whoever it is like they're going to want to remove that thing so you put in the like thing so that they say yeah just take that out and then it's all good and then you can leave everything else and so that is why i wanted to include battle chess because it that story that little bit of law is like a very kind of like it's a very good story. I've told that story many times. And it's become um, a little bit of like a part of the nomenclature of like coding and, and like yeah, development Yeah, no, it absolutely has. It absolutely has. People are like, you know, I'm, I've, you know, I've, uh, you know, I've Here's left my duck. it. This is, this is the duck. <laughs> you know, I've left the, this is the duck that I've left it. I love that that um, came from an otherwise relatively unassuming game on like right. the Amiga. It's Battle Chess <laughs> from 1988, you know, like just a chess game. That's cool. Um, I like it. So, yeah. That is why I wanted to include Battle Chess. I don't, you know, there was a re-release of Battle Chess, I think in like 2015 or something. Right. I don't know, like, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just chess. <laughs> it's just a chess game, you know. I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was innovative for the time. I think the graphics were, you know, the main thing really about Battle Chess. The problem the I always remember about it was it was just so slow. It is really, yeah, it's really slow. It's very, very slow. <laughs> yeah, Love there it. you go. One game that's uh, definitely not slow, though. One game that's... Uh, that has a, quite a high pace beat em up feel to it is Altered mm. Beast. Yes. Now, this is. I would say this is probably one of the quintessential beat-em-up games, which mm. influenced, along with Double Dragon, and maybe River City Ransom, influenced beat-em-ups for the rest of like gaming history. Mm. So I think Altered Beast is definitely worth talking about. And we actually made a bit of a mistake in one of the previous episodes where we talked about beat-em-ups and we mentioned Golden Axe. Well, Altered Beast comes first. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, I mean, most people, like... They get confused by the two because they're made by the same team, effectively, Golden Axe and Altered mm. Beast. But they, it's it just has that really good, meaty-feeling, beat-em-up kind of, like, vibe to it, right? It's such yeah. a uh, it's such an, a joy to, like, pound on bad guys in this game. The thing that I know about Altered Beast is, like, it's a bit weird, yeah. right? Like, it's kind of <laughs> weird. Like, the main thing I... Like, I, I didn't... T- Tony played it like when she was younger and i think she always thought it was this just kind of really weird game because it's got like there's like a boss where there's like heads flying towards mm-hmm. you and stuff like there's just so many like weird and you like turn into a it's a bit like um animorph animorphs is that a thing yeah kind of yeah, yeah 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 like that kind of style like yeah very the, weird <laughs> i think the story is like you are tasked by zeus to like save his daughter athena and he gives right. you like 
powers to be able to like help you do that by like traveling into the underworld to rescue her or something like right. that. Right. Yeah. And I mean, the idea that you can like transform into like different beasts. Sounds totally legit. It sounds like the kind of thing that like was cooked up in a crazy Japanese boardroom on a very hot summer day. Yeah. Uh, and they ran with it. Um and it, yeah, it is it is it's a Japanese game. It's made by Sega. Originally it was actually for the arcades. Uh it was the right. arcade system sixteen, which is basically a mega drive like a mm. less power sorry a more powerful mega drive so when they ported yeah. it to the mega drive the genesis for our american listeners um it was really easy to port it because it was practically the same thing which is why right, the port right, right. was so flawless um, right and ultimate i think was a packing title actually for the, the genesis slash mega drive quite a long time if i remember rightly huh but yeah this was this is by sega um in both instances back when they actually made good games you know yeah um, <laughs> and the only thing that i could find that was interesting about some people that worked on it was a, a guy called makoto uchida who worked on alter beast as the as a designer slash producer if you can call that that back in 1988 who's mm. now the current like head sort of like person in charge of sega's china division wow which he stuck just, around yeah like you think that's like 31 years on and he worked yeah. on like Altered Beast and now he's like in charge of like Sega of China. Which is pretty cool. Interesting. Yeah. Uh but yeah, the game is it's a it's a beat 'em up. Um it's very, 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 very satisfying. Like it has a very kind of like fun, uh quite fast paced combat to it. It's not quite as sluggish as some beat 'em ups. Um one thing that I think is so like unique to it, which I think is weird that it's unique. It shouldn't be unique. Is that the multiplayer is fun because you can't hit each other. <laughs> yeah, like, oh my in god, so it's so annoying. Many beat 'em up games, you can hit each other, and I don't get it. Is it just because they need to add like a level layer of difficulty to it or something? Because how many yeah. times did you play like beat 'em ups back in the day, like either on the arcade or like on the consoles and with friends? And you're like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to hit you, and like you're not sure whether they did mean to hit you or not, and they're just saying, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean. I'm absolutely terrible at these games. Um, I never, you know, I'm, I'm hopeless at them. So I am definitely a liability in any of these kinds of games where you can actually hit hit each other because I'm just, I don't know what it is. It's something about like the depth or yeah, exactly. I, just can't, I can't quite like line up properly ever. And I'm just always either missing enemies or hitting my, you know, the, <laughs> the people I'm playing with. Well, one of the things that this didn't do, which Golden Axe did do, was it didn't have a sense of depth. It was all just on a 2D plane. Yeah. Uh, which made That's why, isn't it? Because otherwise you would, I guess you, so. would, you would hit each other. And then in Golden yeah. Axe, I feel like they did add it so you could hit each other. So, you know, taking yeah. a step backwards there, Sega, come on. Yeah. But this influenced games, things like Streets of Rage and Final yep. Fights, um, yeah, yeah. which feel like kind of Altered Beast and Double Dragon kind of put together. So mm. this is one of the granddaddies of the beat em up genre. Yeah, man, it's uh, not definitely not really my thing, um, but but very very cool, quirky beat em uppy kind of game. I'm trying, I'm desperately trying to think of a but segue if to Mario. Talking about games of that are granddaddies of a genre, I think yeah. honestly, your second game is basically like the emperor ancient all-knowing like seeing being of the platforming genre right right yeah and that's super mario brothers 3 which was, yeah, released on the NES. I first played it, I think, probably as part of All-Stars. Yeah, so did maybe. I, yeah. 
Um, which is funny because I didn't realise how it was meant to look yes, because I played you, it on so All you Stars. the Super Nintendo version of it. Yeah, yeah. and then you, could, you play the NES one and you're like, what is this? Yeah, this it is, doesn't look anywhere near as good. Is, this is the same game? <laughs> um, yeah, like very, 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 very different. Um, I really sort of... This was where you really started to get the like breadth of super, of what Super Mario Brothers games were like mm-hmm. in the sense that you started to get things like there were there were loads more power-ups, right? Some power-ups that have like never come back. Mm. Like the the Tanuki suit, the bit that turns you into a statue as opposed to the like flappy bit. Yeah. Like th- that's that's never come back. Like you've never so, had that no, in, a, in no. a game since. The frog suit, you know, Raccoon Mario, which you do get in, in future games, like um there's the like goomba shoe thing like yeah loads of like loads of power-ups this, in this, this game. set the um, standard basically for 2d mario platformers yeah absolutely and you had the you had the map screen as well like where you started to have you know the secrets and mini games and like being able to go to like a warp world mm-hmm. and all of those kinds of things like really sort of bringing that idea of like worlds with themes you know and and sort of like a, and a map all together this was also the first time the Koopalings were introduced. Yes, yeah, um, I think so, Like, yeah. Bowser's now a dad, um, and, and, you know, however that happened. And you've got Koopalings. So, yeah, like, really, really interesting. Um, loads of stuff, really sort of, like, you know, really, as you say, really, like, the granddaddy of, the, of that kind of... I mean, of, like, I would argue that, like, Brothers. Super Mario Bros. 3 is basically, like, the inspiration for things like Mario Maker, for example. Oh, 100%. 100%. Very, very, very similar kind of vibe. I mean, people um, were make, making their own Mario 3 levels before Mario Maker was a thing, like, because yeah. I know they were making, like, speedrun ones and, like, the yeah. autoplay ones and, yeah, and like, the, yeah. the Kaizo ones where that's, like, the super hard versions and stuff, yeah. like... This is this is such a weirdly quintessential game to the gaming landscape as a whole, mm. not just platforming, but like to platforming. Yeah. This is because everything felt really great as well. Like I, I remember playing yeah. the original Super Mario Bros. Three, and everything felt so perfect. And then you went back and played some of the old, like the older Mario Bros. It just felt like yeah. really weird and floaty by comparison, which is yeah. not an indictment of the original because the original is still really strong. It's just that's how good Mario Bros. Three is. They, there was so much you can read about it actually because there's so much depth and informi- and and sort of detail in how perfect they made sort of the physics and the animations and why like all of the really really tiny details about Super Mario Brothers three that makes it feel so good mm. and my favorite thing sort of staying on the like technical side of things uh, after the anecdote about Battle Chess there's <laughs> always something about Super Mario Brothers three that really fascinated me because it was you're really pushing the limits of the nes here oh yeah this is like right at the end of the nes's life um or like very you know close to the end of the nes's life and really really pushing the limits you know at this point nintendo know all there is to know about squeezing out every single tiny bit of performance out of this frankly miserably you know miserable hardware when it was released so you know (laughs) yeah like the NES is so underpowered, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in obviously in modern terms, but in, in any terms, it's not exactly like it wasn't high powered even at the time necessarily, <laughs> to be honest. Um, one of the things that's really interesting is like when you if you play Super Mario Bros. 3, the original on the NES, the game is like kind of cropped. Like on the left hand side, there's like a there's like a bit missing mm. of the of the image. Um, and on the right 
there's like weird flickering all the time. Yeah. And you won't really notice that if you play it on a TV from the era, because TVs at the time would like overscan. So the image was like slightly larger mm. than the, than the, you know, they would, it would like blow up the image a little bit. So the stuff around the edges was tended to be cropped off. But especially if you play it now, like on an emulator or, you know, on a modern TV, you'll see this like weird flickering on the right hand side. And if you look very closely, you'll see that it's half the tile from the left-hand side mm. being displayed on the right-hand side. Mm. And this is because the, the NES, if you think about NES games for a second, think about how they scrolled, right? So, for example, like, if, if you, like, play Zelda, right, they either scroll up or they scroll right, right? Or yeah. think about Metroid. You know, like, in Metroid, if you're, if you're in, a, in an area where you can go left to right, you also can't go up and down. You can only go left to right. Yeah. And then what will happen is you'll go through a door. There'll be this big, long, slow transition. Yeah. And then maybe it'll be a vertical section. Mm -hmm. And that was because of the way that the NES was designed. It had this like table of memory for painting the display. Right. And it was like two by two. And you would have to basically swap. I can't, I can't be bothered to explain it in detail also because I don't know exactly. But <laughs> you would have to like swap between horizontal and vertical. You couldn't do both because there just wasn't enough space because you would have to be drawing ahead of the, of the player at any one time in the left and right direction. And there was no space to draw above and below. Yeah. But Super Mario Brothers 3, you can go up and down and left and right at the same time. Yeah, you can jump and you can use like the, the raccoon tail right. to like fly and stuff. And, and it's, because basically they like cheated. They like shrunk the amount of space on the screen so that it was slightly smaller than the area that you would normally use. Right. And that's why it's so on the left hand side, it's cropped. Right. And it's only cropped on the left hand side because that was all the NES let you do. Right. It had a thing built in for cropping the left hand side, but not for cropping the right hand side. Okay. So they cropped the left hand side to, to shrink it a little bit. And then on the right hand side, they were like, yeah, nothing we can do about that. Because basically it's painting the left-hand side because you're, you know, you're like using up the, you're like seeing the, the wrap same of, data, the, yeah. of, the, of the memory on the other side. It also mucks with the colours. If you look very closely, the colours of those bits will be wrong. Right. Because the, because the colour mapping is broken up into 16 by 16 squares. <laughs> so you're seeing the colour from the left-hand side being over, like the palette is being used on the right-hand side. So you get these weird colour uh, distortions as well. And it's just that kind of like squeezing so much performance out to do mm -hmm. up, up like vertical and horizontal scrolling that you had to basically have graphical glitches in the game. At all times. <laughs> at all times, because that was how the game worked. Like otherwise they couldn't do it. Like it, it was like, that's, that's the compromise. Otherwise I, you can't have this game looking like it. And looks. I love the fact that it almost certainly was discovered by accident. Like someone probably typed in the incorrect value and realized what they'd done and got, Oh wow, we could use this, right? If we just yeah, like right. intentionally break the game in this way, yeah. then we can make it do something that really we shouldn't be able to. With yeah. It, you know? So yeah, there's so much this and there's lots more. That's that, that's like one small thing that they did in Mario in, in Super Mario 3 to to make it work on the NES. Um there's a bunch of I'll link to I'll link to the video explaining that, but there's also a bunch of other stuff as well if you look around on the internet. Like you mentioned that like you went back and played this like after having played the the Super Mario All-Stars edition on the Super Nintendo yeah. and you're like, "Oh wow, this looks really different." But even with that said, if, when you consider this as an NES game and then you look at like other NES games, even on the right. list, it's like, <laughs> this looks amazing. Yeah, exactly. Like exactly. it's like surprisingly colorful. Everything's very yeah. sort of like well detailed and everything. Like 
it's crazy how much they manage to squeeze out of the game to to make yeah. it look and play as well as it does. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's no no wonder this is very much considered to be like the the absolute benchmark for platformers. Yeah, absolutely. The the last game is not so much a benchmark for platformers because it's it can be a little bit unfair at times, but it has created a bit of a legacy for mm. like that tough to beat hard games. Mm. I'd say this was almost Souls like before Souls like was a thing. Mm. Um, yeah. Whilst also sort of having a really wonderful like lore surrounding the actual like uh, game and its like uh, its history and its character and stuff, and that's uh, Ninja Gaiden. Again, also came out in December of 1988, all towards the end of the year. So we're, we're, we're just skirting the the feasibility of this list here on this Yeah, one. they're all right at the end. <laughs> uh, and it again, it came out on, like, again, look at that. Famicom and NES, right, came out. And then you look at this comparison to the Mario 3. I'm like, Ninja right. Gaiden looks good. It doesn't look Mario 3 good. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, and it was produced by Tecmo, who are now Koei Tecmo, or is it Tecmo Koei? One or the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, who are most well known for doing the Dead or Alive franchise. Mm. Um, and they also did things like Fatal Frame as well, and Monster Rancher, things like that. Yeah. This is uh, one of those games where if you've played one of them, you've probably played all of them. But you could also be forgiven for never even heard of it in the first time. It's it's like it's got its own niche corner within the gaming mm. culture and the gaming history, right? Yes. But the reason I want to talk about it is because for two main reasons. One is that it's a wonderful mix of genres as mm. early as 88 in that it's, it's definitely like a side-scrolling platformer, no question. But it's also got like a, like a touch of beat-em-up to it as well, which is interesting because in the fact we've talked about we talked about Mario as a, mm. as, a, as a platform, but we also talked about uh, Alter Beast as a beat em up. Mm. Very different to both of those, whilst also having that same sort of feel and genre to it, right? Mm. Um, but also, it has a bit of a Castlevania feel to it, too, with like that mm. slower pla- exploration platforming, like with, with sort of like a media combat. It's a real interesting mix of gameplay mechanics in this one. Um, and it made for a very unique play style, which was also pretty awkward to play at times very hard um mm. like sometimes in a good way and sometimes in a probably not very well designed way if i'm honest mm. with you um one of the worst offending problems is like the infinitely respawning enemies especially over like gaps and ledges where you could fall to your death immediately sort of thing right. um and they had like this awkward really like unfair knockback to like when you were hit you know like you got knocked back in games in the day and you'd like be hit knock backwards and you get like a momentary like invincibility frame yes well this obviously works against you on a platform where like the pit below you kills you no matter if you have an invincibility yeah, frame or this, not that's why i don't like hollow knight right <laughs> yeah similar sort of idea yeah <laughs> so exactly similar sort of idea but the other thing about uh, ninja gaiden that i think is really interesting to talk about is how cinematic it was for a game from mm. 88 now it's not to say that there weren't cinematic games at this point there were like your rpgs there was also things like your point-to-click adventure games were already the thing mm. at this point and you were starting to get things like your visual novel inspired games i'm thinking things like um snatcher for example but a little mm. bit later on but still and this was, but this is on the NES, and this was like a action platformer. Like you don't expect like high quality storytelling. 
Right. But it was yeah, like pretty normally good. a platformer. Yeah, normally a platformer is like Mario, right? Like there's no st- <laughs> there's not really a story, you're just playing it. Yeah, exactly. But there was a genuine through story, like mm. a start and an end, you know. There was even like little cutscenes that they managed mm-hmm. to get in. They they're kind of similar. It reminds me a little bit of when we talked about in the last episode we talked about um Digital Devil Saga. Yeah. You know, with that there's just these very simple cutscenes where like they would have like sprites based like portraits of characters and they'd change slight details about them to make them look like they're animated without having to really spend any more memory. Mm. You know, really, really good. And it had a kind of a, like, a, like a nice looking sort of like 80s anime aesthetic to it as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, like I'm surprised at how good it even looks even to de- by today's standards. Like mm. you can look back and go, yeah, that, that looks really nice for like uh, for its ear and its style of of design, because of it's on yeah. the NES, it's really interesting, isn't it? That sort of you know we're a few years now into our into the into this discussion, and and now we're starting to see, like you said, the sort of there's some depth being added here, mm. you know, to something like this, where we're sort of getting a bit of a mashup of genres, and you know, there's a little bit more sort of taking itself a bit more seriously, you know, definitely more seriously than the Mario or Battle Chess, um, you know, in that there's just yeah, there's a lot more going on, um, and we're probably going to continue to see that kind of theme um, as we as we work our way through the year. Well, we're definitely going to see yeah continue to see that theme I think as we work through the it's, year. It's kind of key because games are starting to be influenced by other games now. Right, mm. like developers in all all walks of life from Japan and the West are starting to play each other's games more and more, right? And be influenced yeah. by each other. Yes, exactly. And because you're absolutely right, because we've seen a bit of that as well so far. I can't remember the, the you know sort of thinking things about, like Final um, Fantasy and Dragon Quest being inspired by like um, wizardry and stuff like right, that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And like Ultima and stuff like that. Like like the sort of like the inspiration between West and East in terms of RPGs and stuff like that. Like we've sort of started to see some of that and we're yeah, definitely going to see more of that. You're right. Like now we've got to a point where, especially as we're now starting to see sequels as well, like we talked about, Mm. you know, sequels coming in, you can start to draw from other games because you've had enough time to release your game and also other stuff has come out and now you can like bring some of that back in. Um, So we're really going to sort of start to see some of these, you know, kind of joining up um, as we, as we go through. One of the other really exciting about the next kind of couple of episodes with 89 and 90 coming up is that we're going to start getting new consoles. Yeah, We're going to start getting like the Game Boy, for example. We're going to get like many more Mega Drive games. Uh, The Super Mm -hmm. Nintendo is not far on the horizon now, you know. Um, And PCs become a lot more capable and you're going to get more interesting PC titles. So it's going to become harder to to thin these lists down to like five or six choices, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And and we're still at the point, aren't we, where, you know, where you've got lots of different types of PC, right? Mm. Like, we're, you know, like, uh, I don't know, what what, what kinds of things, um, I don't want to get my, like, like you've got your from. Amiga Commodores, you've got your right. IBM PCs, you've got your Macs, then you've got all the Japanese variants with things like your MSXs and your PC800 engines and things like that. Exactly, exactly. You know, and, and, and pretty soon we're going to start to see IBM PC you know, being the thing and the dominant thing um, fairly quickly as we go, as we go, continue to go through these years. And as a result, you get a, a little bit more of a defined PC gaming space developing. Exactly, exactly. 
but yeah, this has been fun to talk through these. Yeah, very um, very historical. Like I'm I'm mm. amazed that you've not played any of these games except maybe Battle Chess. <laughs> yeah, and well, I did play Mario. I did play Mario. Brothers. Yeah, true, um, true, true. And and Tony's made me play a bit of Altered Beast before. Um, okay, okay. That's but that's otherwise none of the none of your honourable mentions. So not, <laughs> the fact that you hadn't even heard of. I don't even of know, I don't even know any any of these exist. <laughs> Operation Wolf. I only found out about Famicom Wars the other day. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay fine i'll hand in my gamer card yes i think that's probably <laughs> fair um and if you think we've missed any that i also need to hand my gamer card in for as well for not mentioning yep. do please let us know get in contact uh tell us what games we've missed what things we maybe should have talked about on a particular game that we have talked about maybe we've missed like an interesting anecdote uh and we can maybe cover on a soundbite yeah absolutely um send us an email show at octal.fm or tweet us at octal.fm on twitter or Facebook us, facebook.com forward slash octal FM. Excellent. Nice one. And until next time when we talk about 1989, although that won't be the next episode, but at some point in the future, I've been Gelada. And I've been Sephron. And catch us again for another episode of Octal FM very soon.